Get the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music guide you through the opaque world of venture capital and reveal all the ways you can source capital for your company's growth. It all starts right here with Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music on VC Confidential. Welcome to VC Confidential. I'm Jillian Music, and I have a co-host and partner at Outlines Venture Group, Ann Kennedy. Together, we are managing directors of the Sibylla Masters Fund. You can learn more at masters.vc. Now, a few weeks ago here on VC Confidential, we talked about the role of venture capital and how that can help in building black wealth, a role in which conventional venture capital has woefully underperformed, I should say. Um, Black entrepreneurs receive less than 1% of venture capital and black women only a small percentage of that 1%. They're awful, but not shocking numbers. And not only is it unconscionable in a country that purports to be a democratic republic, it dramatically reduces access to profits for investors. In other words, venture uh, capitalists are leaving a great deal of money and potential profits unreviewed, uninvested, and therefore underserved. Now, one of the sources we quoted in our previous show on the declining state of black wealth in the United States was a study commissioned by Living Cities and authored by our guests today, Natalie Nixon and Perry Higgins. Natalie Nixon is a creativity strategist and president of Figure Eight Thinking, where she advises companies on change management. That's certainly applicable today. And Perry Higgins is the president of Evolve Advisors, a management firm that advises corporations and nonprofits. So Natalie and Perry, welcome to VC Confidential. Hi. Hello, thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Pleasure to have you both. Now, Anne heard about you first when she heard you both talking about a study called Radical Collaboration for Black Wealth Creation. And I believe uh, she met at a meeting of Impact Philadelphia. It's an advocacy group uh, in uh, the city of Philadelphia. Now, their reporting has a lot to say about, uh, you know, for those who fund innovation, even though they may not seem entirely intuitive. Now, Today, creativity and innovation are certainly called for to tackle our problems. And as we often point out here at VC Confidential, conventional venture capital serves less than 4% of entrepreneurs successfully. A tiny fraction of that goes to founders of color and, again, even less to women of color. So tell us, uh, Natalie or Perry, Please share a bit about of your work with our audience. Let's begin with Natalie. Just share what you do. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Jillian, for that lovely introduction. Uh, I am president of Figure Eight Thinking. I'm a creativity strategist, which means that I advise leaders on how to apply creativity and foresight in order to achieve transformative business results. And I'm based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Brilliant. And certainly it is greatly needed. (laughs) So, right. If you're not being creative and moving forward, you're losing market share. Um, And uh, Perry, tell us a bit about what you do. Yes, thank you. So I am the president of Evolve Advisors. Uh, We are a minority-owned and woman-owned management consulting firm. We focus our energy on strategic planning, business process optimization, as well as project management. 
And um, as you'll see from this work, Natalie and I collaborated collaborated together um, to develop this report. Um, and she saw fit to include me because of my unique perspective as a black woman, a former venture capitalist, a fund manager, and now a founder of multiple businesses. Thank you both for sharing a bit about your work, Natalie and Perry. We're so glad you're here. We will share a link to your report on radical collaboration for black wealth creation on our LinkedIn page and also in the show description here on WMR.FM. Um, so we'd love to have you tell us about your findings in that report for Living Cities. So thank you so much. The Living Cities report, Radical Collaboration for Black Wealth Creation, is a qualitative research um, study that Perry Higgins and I completed a year ago. Uh, keep in mind that this is pre-COVID, so we, we both are, are, are woefully aware that perhaps some of the uh, insights we need to kind of accelerate on these days, but really what we produced after interviewing over 30 Black fund managers, Black founders, heads of accelerators, incubators, policymakers, were recommendations in the form of scenarios and experiments that were quite systemic in nature. And we took a very integrative approach, namely because the causes behind the current racial wealth disparity in the United States are systemic. In other words, there is not a uh, one simplistic singular reason that we see ourselves in the state where we are. And, and let me just back up a moment and explain why Living Cities was interested in hiring Figure Eight Thinking to do this research. They became aware of an amazing study by an organization called Prosperity Now, which included a lot of data in a report, a research report that they conducted called The Road to Zero Wealth. And one of the most outstanding data points in that study was that if all factors remain constant, the average Black American household in the United States of America will have a net worth of zero by 2053. And that terrifying statistic froze them, rightly so, in their tracks. And their question to us was, what role might philanthropy play in closing that gap, in making sure that that disparity does not widen. And so that was really the question that prompted the research. That makes very good sense. I've actually uh, heard about that before, and Anne and I have also uh, discussed it at some length, this idea that there is an erosion of wealth uh, and the ability to acquire wealth among such a massive portion of a population of any country is indicative of the instability of the country. So we recognize the critical importance of this. Can you share some of the shifts um, that were relevant in, uh, you know, that conversation there uh, in the report, you know, employees to owners. What else did you look at that said moving these things moves the needle? Well, the first thing we really looked at was we set the table by looking at historical context. Um, we, uh, the United States, we, we don't really solely look at this as a Black American problem, but as an American problem. And I totally way, agree. Yeah, and the way we got to this, we actually have to go all the way back to the enslavement of people of African descent, which lasted over four centuries in our country. So we had our own kind of unfortunate 
domestic brand of terrorism, which is the way I personally look at mm-hmm. slavery in the United States, which lasted for over 400 years to that enslaved Black Americans. And mm-hmm. um, I'm going to go through a list of, of things, and Perry can kind of, can kind of build on, on a few of them. But we have, starting with enslavement of people, you, you basically had, you're starting from zero, sub-zero, to even mm-hmm. be able to transfer wealth intergenerationally. After slavery, where in, in an ideal state, there would have been land distribution and land redistribution, there was a Homestead Act that was that started in 1868, only three years after the abolition of slavery, where most um, African-American people were, were not able to access that, the benefits of the Homestead Act. That then led to, that was during the Reconstruction period. We then get into the to the, the era of Jim Crow, which was um, another sort of legislated apartheid in our country. And then um, segregation of housing, segregation of education, segregated healthcare. We then have redlining, which lasts up through. Um, I'm, I'm solidly Gen X and my parents moved into a community in Philadelphia, where they mm-hmm. saw sales signs go up every week as soon as they moved, when they moved into the neighborhood. And I, I would um, postulate that remains to this day, by the way. Not only will there be um, a movement back and forth, but also the cost of a mortgage is different depending on where you live. Correct. Absolutely. It, you're right. It, my husband and I were just having a conversation yesterday about mm-hmm. friends we, we know of where, where mm-hmm. it, it was a very similar situation. Right. So, so we have these systemic drivers in our country that mm-hmm. normalized and legitimized a disparity that now we are in a situation in 2020 post, well, during COVID-19, where we already know that people of African descent, people of color are disproportionately affected by job loss and inadequate access to healthcare and and all of the the cascading effects of that. And so we find ourselves now in what Prosperity Now reported on, where if, if nothing changes, the average Black American household will have a net worth of zero. So these are some of the systemic drivers. Perry, do you want to build on any one of those historical factors? I just wanted to mention that the work that we did for Living Cities was focused on looking at the impact that Black fund managers and Black founders might play in narrowing the racial wealth gap. And what we learned is that historical context that Natalie outlined um, the impact of slavery, Jim Crow, redlining, segregation, and other government policies um, really has taken its toll also on Black fund managers who face significant barriers when raising capital to start their businesses or their funds. And with that, we have to take a a break now for our sponsors. We'll be right back with more insights into the world of both venture capital and how to balance that creation of wealth here on VC Confidential. More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let webmasterradio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. Webmasterradio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm. 
and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. I'm Jillian Music with Ann Kennedy, and we're talking to you as an investor, advisor, or entrepreneur about what you need to know about venture capital. Now, before the break today, we opened a conversation with Natalie Nixon and Perry Higgins, who are creativity and innovation consultants here in the Philadelphia area. We've been talking about wealth creation and building wealth for underrepresented minorities, black and brown people who have access, uh, who have rare access, if you will, to the assets that build wealth. It has been severely limited by, frankly, systemically racist policy in both private and public leadership. So Anne and I see an emerging role for venture capitalists in all of this. At the Master's Fund, we're investing using venture equity and equity investments that include structured exits so that entrepreneurs can redeem the stock they leverage in order to obtain growth capital. And then they can continue to run their country uh, companies as they see fit or they can sell them. Now, simply by providing that alternative, we help to level the asset ownership playing field for a larger group of funders, uh, founders, as well as funders, by the way. At the Master's Fund, we unabashedly invest in female founders of all backgrounds. We focus on this group because they're underserved, right? That's, uh, you know, meaning conventional VCs continue to ignore the opportunities with women at the helm. The women leaders get an average of 18% of the valuation seen by men at Series A. According to First Round Capital, women raise an average of 44% of the capital raised by men, most likely because they can't raise it. And they exit one to two years, between one and two years earlier than men when they do. And they yield an average of 35% higher ROI to investors. So as an investor, I say, where do I sign? Now, we invest in this demographic because it will bring far stronger returns to our LPs. We use a structured equity investment model because it serves entrepreneurs better as well as investors. And we do so because we hope that we are the last generation to have such advantages. Now, in the report, you label a myth, number six in particular, that entrepreneurship will close the racial wealth gap. Can you tell us why it will not close? Why is that a myth? And how will we close it? Well, arguably, African-Americans have been incredibly entrepreneurial due to segregation. Um, so be due, due to historic segregation, Black Americans have had to um, develop their own funeral home services, restaurants, transportation services, 
hotel industry known as the Green Book at one time because of these segregationist policies. So if that if it were the case that entrepreneurship would be a way into to bridge that disparity, we wouldn't be sitting here today. But the reason, despite the the drive for entrepreneurship, despite the the the, the historical evidence for entrepreneurship in the black community, the reason why we have this disparity is that there is still uh, there's still systemic racism interwoven throughout the entrepreneurial community, the venture capital community. So for example, there's a lot of coded language that Perry and I uh, talk about and surface in this research. So when we say things in Silicon Valley and other VC circles like friends and family money, that's an example of coded language because not everyone is able to, to call a rich aunt mm -hmm or cousin or uncle mm -hmm. and ask for an extra 100K or whatever the ask is in order to start mm -hmm. raising capital. Another example of coded language is um, we we took the first year without a salary, right? Mm -hmm. Which 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 seems innocuous enough, but oh, that's yeah. kind of hard if if in your backdrop you have other people who may be dependent on you financially. And one mm -hmm. thing is we we laid out based on our qualitative research um, a, a scenario of two young men whose both whose grandfathers fight in, in the Korean War and both who are Harvard grads, Ivy League grads, and they have very divergent pathways after the recession of 08, 09 hits, all because of these sorts of systemic racism drivers. So mm -hmm. one of the things that is becoming um, all too clear to me as Perry and I have been meeting with, uh, with, with various social impact investing groups is that there really has to be a paradigm shift. Uh, white Americans who are part of these VC investing groups need to interrupt the racism that they overhear, that they observe, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, which, which may look a bit monolithic. And um, one of the things I've become really interested in is I want to understand what is the tipping point for white majority investors to look seriously at a black fund manager or on the other hand, um, a black founder to really invest in their business? Because we've, we've spent a lot of time um, explaining the, the legitimacy, the pedigree of black fund managers, of, of black founders. At this stage, it's, it's also, we also need to understand what would make a white investors compelled. I mean, you laid the case very well, mm -hmm. I thought, but, but we're still not seeing any uptick in investment dollars. So, what, so, what that so yeah, when investigating kind of why that largely white male, you know, of conventional venture firms um, award 98% of the capital to men and the large lion's share of that to 98% of that 98% to tall, white, youthful, slender, able-bodied men with baritone voices, I kid you not, right? Um, you know, I look at that, we talk about this vestigial subconscious behavior, and I would suggest that it is much stronger, of course, than the conscious brain. But we often hear, um, Anne, you have some statistics about this, right? Uh, the, the amount of uh, bits of conscious behavior we have and so on. I sure do. Uh, we process about our our. Conscious, subconscious brains can process 11 billion bits of information every second and our conscious brain 200 bits that's only 200 200 so who do you think's in charge 
I would totally agree. We also often hear two relevant things. People don't like change and people are comfortable with people like themselves. Now, I would observe that these things are not limited to people. All mammals, birds, fish, and even plants will cluster. All of them stick to their routines and their locales for survival. Even the plants, think about this, right? Uh, mammals can't survive in water, fish don't survive on land, and this vestigial behavior of sticking to what sustains your life, let alone what you know, or sticking to your own kind, is not only vestigial in our reptilian brain, it's the very foundation of carbon-based life forms on the planet. Now, I firmly believe that if we're going to solve this, the money must come from different hands two different hands. We must stop shouting at the tall white men with baritone voices that they must understand every problem, work with every entrepreneur and get it. I would say it's so subconscious that it would be hubris to say they can get it or that we can. Right? I talk about not being able to invest in sub-Saharan Africa because I don't know if the problem you bring me is real or rubbish. The solution is the same, right? Whether the, the thing can make the trip, the people will adopt it, or it will have some god-awful effect on the land. I can't tell you any of that. I have to trust that my colleagues will do it and I can follow if I have trusted colleagues who are doing it. I cannot expect to lead it. So if that's the case, how do we get more funders into the game, because I think that's where it sits. Perry, do you want to talk about some of the scenarios or experiments that we, we recommended? We ended our report not only as a descriptive, a descriptive report, but really analysis, and we offered up some scenarios and experiments. And Perry, you want to share some of those? Yes, of course. So um, there are two scenarios that we think would have a really important role in making a difference. Um, the challenge is, for this group, it may not make sense to do things the way that it's always been done. So we have to think mm -hmm. creatively in order to address mm -hmm. how it is that black founders and black fund managers can get the capital that they need in order to grow their businesses, grow their funds and um, achieve the same types of results and wealth generation that the majority does. So one of the ideas that we put forward to Living Cities was a fund of funds. So since black fund managers typically struggle to raise the seed capital to launch their first time funds, you know, not having the um, friends and family around available to them, they um, need that support through a fund of fund to help them raise the capital to provide the supports and to pair them with some mentors. That makes very good sense. I would totally agree. And you did dig in very interesting um, work about getting different funders. And of course, you have been a fund manager yourself. So you bring unique insight into this space. And with that, we need to take another break for our sponsors. You're listening to VC Confidential. We'll be right back. More ways you can source capital for your company's growth on VC Confidential is coming up. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one training a weekly podcast for you or your company, distribution to almost every podcast portal, 
an embeddable player for your website. An ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts. And much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music are back with the inside scoop on what VCs are thinking and where they are investing today and tomorrow on VC Confidential, only on WMR.FM. Welcome back to VC Confidential. We're so glad you joined us. Today, we're joined by Natalie Nixon and Perry Higgins, creativity and innovation consultants. Now, we know full well that it's been an insurmountable task to cover all that you put forth in the radical plan for building black wealth uh, for living cities. However, we'd like to make sure that people know we're going to have a a link on this on our LinkedIn pages and uh, that they can find the entire report there. Now, before the, we uh, signed off from the last segment, Perry, you were talking about um, kind of this systemic um, uh, change that needs to be made at the, the root level in order to uh, bring about a, a change in venture capital. And you spoke about a fund of funds. Tell yes. us more. Yes. So the beauty of creating this fund of fund system would be to enable black founders to access the seed capital as well as the back office supports to promote their future success. So they'd be able to create a track record, gain credibility and essentially be positioned for future rounds of funding in an abbreviated timeframe. What we've learned is that it typically takes a black fund manager twice as much time to raise their funds as, as their white counterparts. The other um, idea that we put forward to uh, Living Cities was the Black Wealth Amplifier, which was kind of envisioned after seeing the portfolio portfolio model. Um, so this um, would have a focus on accredited Black investors and Black founders. So mm-hmm. um, since we know that the venture world represents an incredible opportunity for individuals to gain wealth, much like um, owning a home creates mm-hmm. um, wealth generation opportunities, we see that accredited black investors don't often have access to venture investment opportunities. So this is a space that's typically been dominated by white males. So um, we're envisioning this being a collaborative of philanthropies um, to create a high velocity micro investment vehicle. So black accredited investors could invest small amounts, 5,000 to $100,000 and would have diversified access to investment. Um, And then the um, flip side of that is those funds that were pooled together would invest in black fund managers 
um, to create a number of focused micro funds. So it's serving multiple benefits. One, to build wealth for accredited mm -hmm. Black investors, and then also to bring those Black investors together with Black fund managers who right. find it so challenging to raise their first-time funds. So at I, the end I, of the day, everyone gains from the opportunity. I think you have a really strong point there. It isn't about investing in um, Black-owned businesses. It's about investing in the fund managers and enabling them to raise funds earlier on uh, because we have to level that playing field. Time is that risk factor. Um, again, as you say, you know, somebody who can you know, take a year off or two years and didn't take salary or five years, right, and so on, this is not available to everybody. And um, and it hits uh, women far off more often than men, and it certainly hits black founders, both men and women, far often than white founders. Um, so really, it is about that wealth disparity. Uh, certainly, having been an entrepreneur and myself, we do not have access to those wealthy family connections. You know, I grew up just uh, at, at the northern edges of Harlem in New York City, and um, this was not. It looks like you did too, Perry. Um, so we should share the news of our neighborhoods, although you are much younger than I am. Um, but uh, again, we didn't have access to that wealthy family, this friends, family, and fools. Yeah, we had only fools to go after if we were building something because we had no friends and family with capital. Um, so knowing that and being able to bring on board more investors, more LPs, limited partners to a fund, in other words, that have that not only capital wealth, but the interest and the risk tolerance for this very highly uh, risky asset class is a critical piece. And again, Anne and I would postulate, I think, that um, it's important to fund in different ways. Right? Women in general and black founders in particular right, will find that they have the expectation of building a business that is not necessarily headed for the unicorn. I do not really know if the young white male also thinks, every one of them thinks they're going to build the unicorn. They say so. Maybe they just know the game is that in order to get the capital, you must say so. The women seem to simply have more feet on the ground, and they don't say so. They say, no, I can make it to 100 or 250 million. Why would I sit at 5 or 10 million? Right? They need that kind of capital. In that case, you need a different funding model. And so I would put into the mix of what you're looking at, fund of funds and fund in different ways, ways that would better serve the entire organization and so on. Remember, conventional venture capital, 80% of those companies will die in five years. That's not a good thing for the community. Okay. So as we come toward the end of our conversation here, um, as you looked at these fund of funds, how are you seeing this play out in terms of public and private capital? Are you going to go after the uh, existing VCs or are you going to go after the governments or both? Well, from our perspective, it's going to take an approach that looks at all forms of capital everything that could possibly be available, as well as creating new structures to bring that capital to bear. So doing it the old way, you know, starting with the friends and family round, going the VC route and doing all of the different pitches is not going to, to work to address this issue. And one of the things that we think is so important at this point in time is to ensure that everyone understands that this isn't something that is only going to benefit the black community, it benefits everyone. 
So when an investment is made, um, it's it's not that it's solely focused on rising w- one group, but the investment will serve to rise the entire ship. So um, that is something that's really important for people to understand. It's not creating a diminished pie, but it's building a larger a larger pie. I would totally agree. We do not want to have or or segment the uh, c- capital that is already out there. We want to double it and triple it. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to add the that the, the, we were very intentional in this Living Cities report to proffer up scenarios and future experiments that would address this systemic challenge on a functional, social, and emotional level because those are all of the dimensions upon which um, Black Americans are inhibited from, um, from being able to have these gains. And, and also just to build on, on Perry's last point about this is about not having a smaller slice of the pie, but really building the size of the entire pie. We really borrow from the principle of universal design. Uh, if any of you are familiar with the Good Grips kitchen products, those really mm-hmm. spongy uh, mm-hmm. spatula handles and spoon handles, that design was 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 founded by Sam Farber, the the, the founder of Smart Design, for his wife uh, Betsy, who had severely arthritic hands. As it turns out, universal design is about designing for the least amongst us. It turns out when you design for the least amongst us, you actually produce better design. And if we design for the least amongst us in as it relates to building equity, it will be a gain for all Americans. Natalie, thank you so much. That was such a strong statement and we couldn't agree more. Uh, we are all in the, in the same uh, ballpark here and it's really exciting to hear what you have to say. I also wanted to give you a chance to talk about your book. So, Sure, thank you so much. My, my new book is called The Creativity Leap, Unleash Curiosity, Improvisation and Intuition at Work. And it's really about why creativity is a critical competency now this fourth industrial revolution and in the future of work. And as it relates to this conversation that Perry and I have just been having with you all, the only way we're going to see our, our way out of such a complex, uh, air quotes, wicked challenge, which is the term we use in, in systems thinking, systems design, is with another complex uh, tool. And creativity is a, is a complex framework. So uh, I, I really encourage all of us to realize that creativity is the engine for innovation. It is this toggling between wonder and rigor to solve problems. And it's absolutely the way to see our way through this equity challenge. And you can read more about it in the Creativity Leap. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Natalie Nixon and Perry Higgins. Um, you tell people real quick how to reach you if they'd like to. This is Natalie Nixon. You can reach me at figure8thinking.com as in figure eight, ice skating, the number eight, figure eight thinking.com. And this is Perry Higgins. You can reach me at P Higgins at evolveadvisors.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of VC Confidential. We invite you to join us each Tuesday for a new episode as we take a deep dive into the opaque world of venture capital and share learnings and ideas on the inner workings of this very 
shrouded corner of business finance known as venture capital. We'd like to thank our producers at WMR.FM who agreed to take a chance on our new show, VC Confidential. You can listen to all our episodes right here on WMR.FM and in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you like to get your podcast. You will find all of our CEO Coach podcasts there as well, all 10 years of them. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music, and we are so glad you joined us on VC Confidential. Till next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.